All right, we made it. We are back on the Engage Your Fan Base podcast, and my name is Kara Karma uh, from Simon Says Booking and Publicity, and uh, as has uh, been my pleasure recently, I've got Solveig Whittle again um, uh, co-hosting with me today. Want to say hi? Yes, we've got Aaron Harp of Aaron Harp and Delta Swingers and uh, Love Whip today with us, and we are doing another um, of our new experiment uh, podcasts where we are doing a live uh, consulting session with a musician and answering some of their their questions and seeing if we can't uh, figure out some solutions that would help a lot of musicians as well as the one that is the lovely lady that is is on with us today. Um, so, Erin, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you guys are, are doing right now, uh, the, the bands that you're in? Well, we have one band called Love With, which we've had for actually many years, and that is like a dance band. It's uh, had different, different influences over the years. We started out more of a world music thing with one across the music board back in 04, I think it was, um, then we kind of, through the times, uh, not been able to keep such a large band, it was kind of like a, a large band with like percussionists and horn players, and kind of over time we kind of got into the more electronic side of dance music and have become a smaller band, so now we're four piece, and that's the one band, and then we're still touring with that. Um, six or seven years ago, we started a Delta Blues band, and that's more what I've been doing since I was a kid. My dad taught me how to play Delta Blues finger picking style, and uh, it actually was. We, we went down to South by Southwest, and uh, we were trying to push love with, and it ended up that somebody found out about my blues thing, and that kind of took off, and we went back to South by Southwest like three or four times. And I was like, it's start, it's time to start a band around this. It seems like uh, roots music is really taking a, an upswing lately. So we're like, let's let's do this. And actually, the Delta Swingers is my my newer band, and we've been constantly um, <laughs> evolving too. So we started out as a um, acoustic band. We were sitting down. I was playing just old-fashioned Delta Blues, and then I was being backed up by my husband Jim, who's a folk band on bass, and uh, then a drummer. And we used to have a harmonica player who was on our first album, who was like kind of uh, almost a mentor to us. He's been in the blues scene for many years. He's older and he's an amazing player. But at this point, we've um, done so much touring that we've had to get some younger players who are willing to do all this road stuff. And we've got a new young band, and we want to put out an album that kind of shows, um, I guess, I guess back when we first started, I never wanted to be the, the focus, even though I was the singer, but now I'm trying to really get people to know that I'm, I'm the lead guitar player, I'm, you know, uh... I'm not trying to hide behind some soloists anymore, I guess. <laughs> so we want the new album to uh, to show that. 
So a lot of, go ahead. Like I've been, I've been working on my guitar playing and I've actually done, um, a DVD for, um, that came out a couple months ago or about a month ago. Yeah, that was on a big, um, label called Guitar Workshop, Seven Guitar Workshop. And yeah, out of New York City. So. We've got a lot of good things going on with it's just the blues band. We just we have this marketing problem it's, or branding problem. It's like, who are we? Do we have the right name for what we are? I don't know. We, you know, when we started, we thought we were going to do really well in the blues scene, and it's been kind of yeah, we've done great. We've won a bunch of music awards. We got to the semifinals and the international challenge in Memphis twice. Each time that we've gone to the International Blues Challenge, that I've been kind of flying by the seat of my pants, where I'd rather be more targeted this time. So, that's what I've been working on. So, the, you and part of, that, part of that, we're doing pre-production for our new album right now. And the rest of it is kind of image, and what words do we use to describe ourselves, and you know, we've been, we had been called Charles River Delta Blues. Kind of, actually that's, a writer said that about us and people in Boston liked it, but I feel like it's, it's really, um, kind of confining for us to say and write in our description that we're from Boston, because I don't think that's as valid as it was anymore for us. We're more, you know, just an American band doing blues slash Americana roots. Um, you, you sent us some specific questions you want to address, and, uh, I think Sully had some really good thoughts on this first one, uh, that we'd like to discuss. You asked us if, uh, you should change the name of the band. Um, of course, you know, changing the name is just a bigger picture if you should change the branding, but Sully, do you want to, do you want to start by tackling that question? Yeah, so, um... No, my thought on that is if you have equity in that name, which I'm, I was looking, so there's two things. Number one, I, I think if one of your goals is to feature yourself, Aaron, and your name, which is featured on your other albums, and to preserve that and build on it um, as a personal brand um, for you. No, so then that translates to no matter what kind of music you're doing because it's really about you. Well, I think you should just keep it Aaron Harp and and not change it to you know like what you were talking about in terms of like Charles River Delta or anything else that is any in any way confusing people about who the band leader is. And I think, you know, the unless there are political reasons to change it from a band politics issue. I think the biggest issue that a lot of women musicians really struggle with, especially if they're front women, is feeling comfortable with being the featured focal point of the band. And so I think this is less about, you know, a naming issue is very important, but the person that's most important to you is you. And if you are willing and ready to step forward and like and all everything that that means, 
then you should absolutely keep your name as the first part of your band name. Now, the second question is, who, who, who do you want to compare yourself to? Like, when you get hired um, as a performing band or when people are looking at your website and looking at other people's websites in your genre, what do you notice about how they, what their band names are, how they promote themselves, how they brand themselves? So I, I actually did um, a little bit of research. It's not very hard to do some of that research, and I'm sure you know uh, off the top of your head who your competitors are in the space of female blues guitar player, front women in a band. A lot of them seem to just go by their name, even if they have a band. Exactly. So my suggestion is you either, it's either Aaron Harp or it's Aaron Harp and the Deltas. And I would just cut the swinger part off of it because the other thing you mentioned was that it was confusing to people. That it's swing music. Yeah, that it's a swing band. So there's nothing wrong with the word Delta. It has that, you know, it can bring in that kind of blues feel. But I also think that it's a generic enough name, uh, word that it could be to describe a lot of different things. So if you're committed to saying Aaron Harp or you're not comfortable with just saying Aaron Harp, period, which would be my first choice. If uh, you're not comfortable with that, though, or you feel that you want to express the fact that you're an ensemble as opposed to a solo artist, then I, and you want to differentiate this ensemble from perhaps from other ensembles that you might be in in the future, or even like a solo album you might do without the husband or without anybody else, like if you just did an acoustic album and you wanted to potentially release that under just the name of Aaron Harp, then I would say go with something that's just a shortened version of what you already have. I like that. You know, and the other thing is, you do a lot of, you know, some of your uh, playing is the acoustic trio, and and even there, I mean, if you're just branding yourself as Aaron Harp, you could just say Aaron Harp Acoustic, you know, it's just, um, it, it certainly makes that, what's that? Last night, I was trying to tell people who we were, and I was like, so we're, and then I was getting confused, I was like, we're Aaron Harp. And the Delta Swingers acoustic trio is like that's so long mm-hmm. and confusing, and people were not listening by the time I could, they were not listening anymore. I just, I think in that case, you just want to say your name. What you mm-hmm. want, want people to remember is, is to be able. So branding is like about how do people find you? How do they remember you? How does a booker remember you? How does somebody who's a fan who hears you once, and you know at a show or somewhere else. How do they remember you? What words do you want to put in their head? And I think in that situation, you want to feature your name. Your name, luckily, is not super common. I did not find any other Aaron Hart with an E who are musicians when I Googled it. I don't know if you know them, but are there are there any? Just the wrestler. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really great because you can own that space from a digital perspective just using your name. And think about it from the from the fans' point of view. You want them to be able to Google your name in whatever spelling they have in their head um, and somehow have those search results rise to the top. And you want to make it simple enough that they don't have to search on 
you know, the de- is it the Delta blue? Is it you know, like is it clear? Like you don't want that in the head. You want Aaron Harper in the head. So you know, if, if you can call the band whatever you want, but when you brand the stuff, you know, like your website name, your um, your marketing materials, the so anything that's going to go online, think in terms of search um, search engine optimization and figure out how to simplify it enough that it is easily re- rememberable, easily searchable, and not like anybody else. You know, this, this different, you know, like just Aaron, obviously, would, would be not, a, you know, not optimal. Yeah. But I think Aaron Harp is great. So I think going with either Aaron Harp, just plain Aaron Harp, and then you can have all the versions of Aaron Harp. I mean, if you're a multifaceted, multi-genre performer, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't look at it as a liability, it's an asset. Well, you have to feel comfortable with it, because I think that's the biggest issue. It's like, that's what I'm sensing from just a little that we've talked is like you kind of were not really sure you wanted to be out in front like in a in a metaphorical sense so something this is just you have to make that take that step and make that decision which means you have to physically be stepped out in front of the band your photos have to feature you your marketing material has to feature your name and you're the person who talks to the press, right? Because, you know, think about, like, what do you want that headline that someone's going to search on in the Boston Globe or whatever when you do that interview? What is that going to say? Is it going to say Aaron Harp and the Delta Swingers? Is it going to say, you know, some generic term like, um, you know, Boston's daughter returns to her blues roots? You want your name in the freaking title of the article because you want that to add your online um, brand uh, and, and help elevate that online so that people can find you easily. Well, the good thing is our website has been AaronHarp.com the entire time. So <laughs> I think we've already got... Well, and your imagery already does feature you. What's that? Your... your, your uh, visual branding, a lot of it does really feature you. Uh, the album, co- the last album cover does too. Um, there's a simplicity in using Aaron Harp that's uh, really relatable for people. You know, um, the shorter the name, um, the easier it is to remember. Not just the name, but all the associations uh, that come with it that you want to uh, to have. You know, be associated with your brand. One of the questions that you asked. Um, was uh, I wish my, was that? My name sounds like I would. It sounds like I would be an Irish band, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. But uh, as people get to know it, they'll know not that. Well, I mean, and that's the work that that really we're gonna, you know, need to get to the heart of is is what is going to be associated with Aaron Harp, and you know, you had asked about, um, you know, you said that you. You stand out in the blues scene, uh, but that you're kind of crossover with blues, Americana roots, uh, some world influ- uh, fusion influences, and asked if that was confusing. And the the real question is, um, 
is figuring out two things. One is what is your goals? What are you what are you figuring what do you want to stand for? And then understanding your target audience. So are they target audience for those things that you wanna you wanna stand for? And and how to communicate what you stand for to that target audience is the crossover, the key. So um what you stand for is so much more than your music genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your brand, you know, one of the things that I that I think is really super important is what do you stand for around your music, outside your music, in the flavor of your music, your your visuals, the things you talk about in your music, the way you present yourself, the the, the people that you're trying to speak to are not going to define themselves as blues listeners. They're going to define themselves as fans of the kinds of things that you, that they perceive you stand And that goes beyond that genre. So I don't think it matters. You said um, strictly blues market. I don't know what that means. As a marketer, there is no such thing anymore as strictly a blues market. Because lots of different ages of people, lots of different demographics, listen to blues music. Blues is also not a very generic term that covers a variety of subgenres. Yeah. So I think you can you wanna define you know you want to think about like are you trying to appeal to um the twenty something person who just discovered Delta Blues, you know, or are you gonna let the, are you gonna be appealing to people who um, you know, like a, a baby boomer type of person who might um, who might be a fan of, of um, what's her name? Why am I blanking on her name? But, um, you know, with the red hair and oh, Bonnie Raitt. Yeah, a Bonnie Raitt fan. Like a classic woman, you know, she's, you know, she's iconic for a certain generation, but like, not that many people have really heard of her who are under, you know, 30, but that's okay because that's an audience that you can go after. There's, you know, there's, um, there's such a variety. You, you can even count some of like current contemporary music as, you know, pop music as kind of having a blues feel to it. Um, yeah. Are you going to go for the Americana, mm-hmm. the roots audience? But that audience spans a lot of different age groups. And so I just don't, I think it's, are you like hard rock blues? Are you appealing to um, you know, like, are you appealing, like, do you wear black leather? Are you, are you crossover into the hard rock? Right. Okay, so you're going, no. So are you more in the country blues, um, down home, you know? Yes. Yeah, I would, I would call it retro, retro blues, you know? And that's, I feel like there's a lot of younger people that are into that. There's also the older male, baby boomer demographic that they just love that I'm doing it and I'm a woman and that I have the fishnets on and you know but the, the problem for me is that there's so many different like um well first of all the younger people who are getting the blues I feel like they don't want to spend any money on music so it is it good to go towards that audience or not I'm not sure like well they might not spend money on music, but that doesn't mean they're not going to spend money to come see you or to buy your merchandise. Younger people are more into experiential things, right? So 
for sure, you know, they would bring potentially bring a hundred dollars cash to a show yep. and might be willing to drop money on something that appeals to them if you have something on your merch table that appeals to them. The uh, the thing about those different um, groups of people, like all the people we're going to go down and play in front of in Memphis in January, are the sort of baby boomer, uh, hardcore blues fans. They're fa- they've been fans since the, you know Bonnie Raitt came out in the seventies, and you know they they either like rock blues or they like old Delta blues or whatever it is, but. Um, I, I find that it, they tend to be like, well, you know, it's the election cycle, so we're finding out that they're all Trump supporters and they're, you know, much more conservative than me personally. Like, I personally am extremely liberal and I brought up that way. I'm from the East Coast. And, you know, I'm just an artsy gal, you know, I'm a visual artist, I'm a musician, and they probably think I'm a wax top, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, you don't have to get into the politics, you know. I don't. Know. Yeah, but I think that doesn't mean that you can't still play that group for every penny that you can get from them. I mean, I'm sorry to say that I'm a marketing person, so but you know that that doesn't mean you can't understand them as a demographic and what they want from you from a you know really. Um, I, 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 I don't know if you if you've ever heard of Tom Jackson, but I'm a, I'm a Tom Jackson. Yep. And his philosophy I really agree with in the sense that when people go to a performance, they want to they they feel an emotional response. Hopefully, if you've done your job, and then they walk out of that performance and they want a memento of that experience that will help them to recreate that feeling. So it's not as much necessarily about buying a CD as it is, and I think, we, you know, he, he overlooks one other point, which is really important from my point of view, which is I believe fans want to support artists. I believe that most fans are, are smart enough now about how the music industry has been really difficult um, for independent artists to understand, especially if you are straightforward about that during your performance to say, look, I'm an independent artist. I really appreciate you being here. I love my fans. I I appreciate you supporting me. Here's some ways you can support me. Because the moment that you are performing, that they are there in your presence, is the most likely moment that they are going to want to contribute money to continue to allow you to, to, to bring them music and be a, an artist. Because you're aspirational, like you are, you're creating music, you're living your musician lifestyle, some of them want to support you because they think you're a fabulous musician, some of them want to support you because they want to be you, so that's the moment they're going to take out their checkbook, and just finding something that they can justify buying that has a low enough, or high enough margin, a low enough cost for you, that it makes it worth for you to sell, like a kazoo, or some other item that appeals to that audience, even if it's not a CD. Like, a lot of people buy CDs at performances and they never listen to them again. They are a memento, and they are a way for the for the, for the fans to support you. And so, politics has, doesn't matter. It's it's about how can you, how can you connect with that audience? 
how can you be honest and straightforward and, and vulnerable about saying, I need your support to continue to do this. And um, then how can you give them something that they can feel like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm not spending $50 on a pen, you know, but I'm, or, or but I'm maybe spending $2 on a sticker or $5 on a sticker, or maybe I'm spending $50 on a t-shirt that I know costs $10, you know, to make. Um, so that you can make this worth your while to, to allow them to support you. Um, and, you know, really what I, what I want to get at though in the, in the branding exercise for you that I think is most important is what do you stand for that, and I know why you brought up the politics because that's one thing that you, that is part of your, your who you are, but there's a lot of other things. That, that don't involve, that don't have to involve politics, that are also who you are, that they can meet you. I'm probably, uh, if you think about it, most musicians are probably in the boat I'm in. They're like a little bit more liberal than maybe their audiences. So I, yeah, that's a good point. One thing I've noticed that people really respond to is if I say, if I just mention my dad and then he taught me guitar, then people go, oh my God, I can't believe, it's so great that you talked about your history, and I just said one sentence, right, one sentence, you can elaborate on that, that could be built into a whole, that alone can be built into a whole branding story, you know, um, that's what I do for Bonnie Raitt, right, um, that's, her father was a huge influence on her becoming a musician, and was a huge, amazing, you know, entree for her into the world of entertainment. Um, you know, the, the other person who I'm a big fan of is Rory Block. I don't know if oh you my know. God. Of course, yes. Also a golf You know, the guy I did the, the DVD with was friends with her when she was a teacher in New York, and he was one of the people that took her around. But no, I've had her message since I was a little kid, and I love her. Like, so Rory has a great, um, she stayed with me when she was visited Chicago one time. Oh my and God. Lori has a great story about her childhood and growing up and learning the blues from those guys in New York and, you know, that whole historical perspective on your brand, I think, resonates with people who are older and they have a sense of understanding history. They, they see you as somebody who is carrying the torch and you know, you, if you feel passionately about that and you feel, um, you know, sincere about that, that's going to come across and that's going to resonate with people. So I think making that story a bigger part of your brand could be very powerful to help people to be able to relate to. And again, it really doesn't have as much to do with the genre or even with the demographic of your fan. With who you are, I think it has a lot to do with authenticity. Absolutely, I feel like it's lacking a lot in the blues. It's like people just come and they're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna do a blues song, or I'm just gonna be a blues musician." But it's like I'm a second generation blues person, but I wish I was better at talking about that. So that's why I want some. I need somebody to help me. Like really, I need a bio to be written by not me because when I write it, it just doesn't come out. You know, I'm not good at building myself up and talking about, I just, 
I probably have time to talk about myself. I don't know other ladies. That's pretty common. Which is another great branding element. Really? The, yeah, absolutely. So people appreciate authenticity. I agree. They also appreciate humility, and they appreciate somebody who genuinely cares about the music as opposed to cares about, you know, being famous. Yeah. And I think that could be a very powerful part of a brand. I agree with you. You're not going to be the best person to write that bio, and you're not going to be the best person to do that, you know, that word crafting around what your story is and what you stand for. Um, Except that you're the person who needs to tell it. So, you know, I have the story within me. I just need to, I need to get out all of the information and then pick out the points that are going to resonate with people, which I might need some help with. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're not the right person to pick those points out. You're probably somebody who has a better sense of, you know, because it's so hard to see yourself for all of us as a musician. I mean, I'm a musician as well. And it really just has struck me for so many years that um, we are our own worst, um, you know, observers. We don't, we, you can sit with somebody like, especially if you, if you're, if you get interviewed with like by somebody in the press, a lot of times the things they pick up on because they think they're unusual or they think they're, they make the story really good are things that you had no idea were would resonate at all. Or you didn't think it was very interesting. Yeah, you know, the fact that you raise alligators or the, you know, like you, your grandmother was a, you know, what, you know, whatever. Like, what, those kinds of stories are, when you're a journalist, you learn to think like that. And when you're a marketer, you learn to think like that because it's like, oh, that's unique. My my grandfather was a coal miner, but I, I don't really talk about that. But I think it could be interesting. Totally interesting. Totally interesting. I think you need to explore that as part of your brand, like that whole family root issue as part of your brand, and how you talk about that, not just in your live shows, but how you talk about that on your website, how you talk about that in your bio. And how you talk about that on the back of your album or, or during a, an interview. It's, it's, it's important to get those, you know, get those nuggets and then work on them and hone them and make them genuine and, but, ex, but explore the language around them so that you can say those stories and tell those stories in a way that is natural but still a little bit recursed because you know, want to be able to be a good storyteller. Like, the best storytellers are the people who don't sound rehearsed, but have really practiced telling their story, and they know the parts of their story that are most effective, and they know how to tell those stories. Yeah, I, speaking of Tom Jackson again, I've, uh, we've listened to his uh, podcast and things like that, and, um, so I have gotten into sort of tagging little stories with little songs. So if I'm singing a song, I can tell a certain story, and that helps a lot. But um, I think I could definitely do more work on that, because usually it's very specific to the song. But 
I, I find that if I ever put something in there that's a little bit of a story about me, the real story, then they, people just, it's just like a much more of a response. And then people always come up and ask about that song at the end. Oh, that on your album? Can I have that song? <laughs> and they buy the album. They buy it because of the moment. They buy it because of the emotion. They buy it because you have brought them into Aaron's world. And I think that's the thing that, as female artists, sometimes men don't understand, male artists don't understand how difficult it is for us to do that. It's difficult for us to be vulnerable. For a lot of really relevant and, and you know, valid reasons. But it's, it can be so powerful for us to be honest and authentic and vulnerable not vulnerable as in like crying on stage, but vulnerable as in giving small bits of detail. And I don't mean like, you know, I've seen people go on far too long. Usually they're men. Um, you know, I have a, I have a girlfriend who does that. She just loves telling stories and I'm, I'm watching her and it's like, oh man, like find a shorter way to say that, you know, like, but for me, like, I can't even do that because I'm, I don't hate, I hate talking. And I, half the time I'll just stick my foot in my mouth and I'll, and I won't be able to get the words that, you know what I mean? Like, that's why I think having some forethought about it, like, like Tom Jackson talks about, you know, come up with the general idea. Don't do it word for word. Don't write it on your set list. Right. Just know, like, oh yeah, this song is attached to this story. I'll just, Take a quick second. And you know what? Here's the other thing that I tell artists is this is not rocket science. And you've already told me a couple things that resonate with your audience during your live shows. I think that if we as artists just listen to what our fans tell us they like and do more of those, that will be plenty for you. Uh, You don't have to create something new. Just retell the stories maybe embellish them a little bit more, maybe practice them a little bit so that you get the emotional, you know, the build of the story right so that you know when to cut the story off and start long um, so that you know which details are, are going to resonate with people the most and so you can keep it succinct but still touch on enough of the emotional part of the story that people feel like you let them in on this story, wow, I'm going to listen to the lyrics in this song. And then when and when they listen to the lyrics, then they get that about you because it's a continuation of the story. And then at the end of the song, they want to run over to the merch table and buy that. Exactly. They want to buy that experience, yeah. though. What? What's that, Karen? I just, I just wanted to emphasize how it's that experience, that whole experience that they're buying at the merch table. It's not just, you know, it's like when you do your kazoo song and, uh, you know, you have kazoo hands. I mean, they want to, they want to feel that experience. That that's why they're buying the kazoos. Not, it's just, it's a part of the, like the whole, you know, the whole uh, uh, circular, you know, experience. But anyway, that's all. I want to say. Yeah, they want to feel that moment again. I think we hit on a thing which is going to be what I'll be working on, I think, now. is um, It's really all about getting people to know who I am and just 
I think a lot of times I try to deflect it, like, oh, there's the harmonica player, there's the bass player, you know, or like, uh, you know, we're the Delta Swingers, instead of like, no, I'm Aaron, here, this is who I am, like, this is my thing, my group, this is my story. Yeah, Jim Fowler. What's that? How long have you been a musician? 30 years, I don't know. I mean, I've been in a performing touring band for 20 years. Right. So, that's a lot of equity. You know, that's a lot of talent and hard work and experience to draw on. And that's aspirational for your audience. You're following your passion. You are doing what defines you as a human being that makes you really happy, that expresses your creativity in a way that nothing else that you do in your life can do. And to learn how to talk about that in a way that is inspiring, like that's one of the things that Amanda Palmer does really well, um, especially in a small group environment, is she talks about the, the inspiring nature of enabling creativity in everybody. You know, that's her whole ukulele shtick, right? She's yeah. really good at talking She's a good doctor. But, yeah. But, it's not like she goes on and on about it. Like, she has a few good stories. And she's honed them. And she, they are, they're stories that people can relate to. And I think that that's a universal theme of um, and unleashing the creative in everybody, in everyone. You know, everybody can play the ukulele is like a great thematic story. And I think there are universal themes that a lot of artists that, that you know, that you can touch on that are, that are, uh, that other artists might use, but that are specific to you. Like the story of your family, the story of your father, you know, the story of, how you got started or how you continued or a challenge that you faced in your musical career. You know, what challenge you're facing now? What, what is it that, that that motivates you to continue to do this that people will be able to relate to? It doesn't matter whether or not they're musicians because everybody can relate to that kind of passion and that kind of struggle to fulfill your passion. Um, and that's the part that a brand should be built around. I mean, to get back to the branding, you know, question, yeah. your brand should really be built around you and what you want to express to your audience about that message, about who you are and what you stand for and what you're passionate about. And that really doesn't have to do with who, you know, what's the audience for a particular genre. It has to do with who you are as a person and who they are and how to connect with your audience. No matter what age they are, no matter how much money they make, no matter whether they're male or female, what race, gender, you know, doesn't matter. It's, did you connect with them because your story told something about you that they could really relate to? And that, that permeates through your whole brand, right? It's your bio, it's your pictures, it's your website. It's your, you know, your, your, your stage show. And if you, 
this, I talk about this with artists when I work with them on their brand. It's so hard to, to everybody always wants to jump to those, those, you know, tactical issues. Like, should my website be black or brown or, you know, I don't that. You know, I mean, you got to get the other stuff right first. And it's hard. It sucks. I mean, it's difficult. It can, if it's easy, you're not, you haven't done it. Well, you know, you know the, the difficult part is just not doing it and just trying to kind of, you know, throw it out there as your show without any thought ahead of time. And I find that, you know, with the touring, being on the road so much, it's hard to sit down and say, well, what do I, what am I presenting? So, but you don't necessarily, you can view your shows as experiments. Oh, in totally. Exercises. And so, I think if you do have to sit down and spend some time doing it, but all you need really is somebody to sit across from you and, and, and ask you questions and then, you know, develop a picture of you. Like, I mean, in words, you know, like not necessarily like a physical picture, but, but certainly physical is part of it. And I think people don't realize that they have all that stuff in their heads and in, you know, and, and from their experience, especially with 20 years of touring and live performance experience, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're a different person than you were 20 years ago, but there's parts of you you're not. But that's part of my story is that I've been, I mean, I, I get this, this one question that just totally thanks me is, how old are you? I have to know how old you are. Like everybody, I'm like, it's not an interesting part of my story that I'm not that, I'm not young. Like, I'm not going to tell you I'm 17, you know? Like, but then again, it's like, it is kind of interesting part of my story because I've been, when I started, I was so shy. I couldn't say anything on stage. I like was so shy. I didn't want the spotlight, but I loved singing and I loved, I, I loved the audiences. I love the audience. I just can't necessarily stand up in front of, you know, 50 people and talk, but now I can. It's still not my favorite thing to do. I wouldn't like give a talk. If I could help it, but <laughs> that part of that modesty and that you know shyness is can be part of your brand. Yeah, and also like I I found out like four years ago that I have ADD. That's part of my story too. Like part of why similarly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, but, uh, how old am I? I would just say you know I'm 95 and I'm. I'm good for 95. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, there's, there's a guy on the scene that lies about his age and says he's 20 years older. That's a good idea. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously you're not 25, but like, you know what? There's nothing. People want to know that because they want to know. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, and I think women get asked that question a lot more. I always find when women are the ones that ask it the most, though, and then when I, sometimes I'll confide in somebody and they'll be like, oh, I'm younger than you. I'm so happy I asked that question so that I can feel good about myself or something. Like, uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell them you're 95. Um, the other thing that I, that I talked about, um, or I, I, I did a, a little, um, some notes about, um, to myself prior to this call was around that issue of branding. Are there other um, causes or themes 
that you can leverage off of to um, kind of create um, some additional opportunities around your brand. So, you know, things like, um, are there other hobbies you have, causes you care about, um, or themes that you care about that you can use to, um, that you feel comfortable um, associating with your brand because those represent potential opportunities for um, financial opportunities for you as well as ways for you to relate to your audience. And obviously that's got to be something that, well, maybe not obviously, it needs to be something that you genuinely care about, but it's generally something that has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I, my big thing is, is animals and, you know, adopt, adoption and just, I have a lot of adopted, well, I have three right now. Jim won't let me have any more, but, <laughs> but another, yeah, and, and my really wacky one doesn't even exist, but I, I really am upset about roadkill, <laughs> and I wish that we could prevent it more, but that's, I don't think that that's going to be anybody that can help me with that, but. <laughs> Um, and maybe it's not even at an event that has anything to do 
with animals or, or helping animals. It's just that you share those values with the fans or another musician or a potential brand sponsor. You know, like we, we don't often think, I think, as musicians enough about the fact that we can bring awareness or value to um, places as musicians um, that really we don't classically think about as opportunities to make money, like local businesses, um, people who are trying to do, you know, local causes, um, animal shelters, um, urban gardening, um, you know, like, there's, there's a lot of it. Cool. Maybe, maybe they'll use your song if you write a song about it or something, too. Commercials, schools, um, churches. There are places that you can get paid to perform if you feel connected to a particular cause, and that creates a bridge to that opportunity to make money in some way or another. And it's, you know, it's hard to necessarily uh, create that overnight. It's not necessarily something that you can um, just snap your fingers and do, but it's worth thinking about trying to weave that into a brand so that if the opportunity arises or becomes obvious, that it is a genuine connection and not something manufactured. Local businesses are such great opportunities for that kind of stuff. When you're touring, you could kind of, you know, also reach out locally wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Kara. I hope this was useful. Uh, Sylvie, so got so many good ideas. Um, and uh, if you had other questions, we could, we could continue this at some other point. But um, got it working. We got it working. Uh, I hope that uh, that uh, you know this discussion has has helped frame some things in your mind and helped. Uh, Definitely. Good. Definitely. Good. Thank All you right. So much. Uh, all your advice and thanks Kara for putting this all together mm -hmm. alright well uh, until next time this has been the Engaging Fan Base Podcast